Hey there everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and this week I teamed up with our resident knife geek over here at MCS headquarters, Buck, to bring you this week's podcast episode. Now, I would venture to say that Buck probably has the most extensive collection of knives, maybe even on the planet, and he was a frequent contributor to some of the popular tactical magazines out there doing knife reviews and training articles. So who better to ask about the pros and cons of your choices for the best everyday carry knife for self-defense and survival, right? Well, strap in and get ready to take notes, and be sure to share your best tips for your everyday carry knife choice on our blog. I'd love to hear what you're carrying and your advice based upon your own experience. But for now, check this out. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Millions on millions of words of discussion have been devoted to the topic of what is the best knife for self-defense and survival. And if you could throw a rock at random on the internet, you'd hit at least a dozen self-proclaimed knife fighters. Now, ask those supposed knife experts what the best knife is for self-defense, survival, and everyday carry as a utility blade, and you're going to get at least a dozen answers, probably more like five dozen answers. The fact is, there are pros and cons for every knife that you might choose to carry on a daily basis, and navigating those pros and cons is why we're here today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director for the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today is a, I'd call him a guest, but he's actually one of our staff members and he's been with us for, for many, many years. He's probably a guest voice that you have heard many times if you've spent any time with us at all. And that is Buck Green, staff member at Modern Combat and Survival Magazine. Buck, I would say welcome back to the program, but like Hello, boss. this is kind of your program too. So yeah, um, actually, this is a lot. We always have a lot of fun whenever it's just kind of you and I on the uh, on the interview and 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 doing the microphone here. So it's it's been a long time though. So I'm really looking forward to get you back onto the the show. So listen, everyone, if you don't know, Buck Green is an expert for many years on topics of self defense and knives and he has contributed to multiple magazines and he's written books on self-defense and on knife fighting and he has written several articles for tactical uh, tactical knives magazine when it was still out and about and basically anytime that i have a knife question there's only one person i pick up and give a call to and that's buck and he was instrumental even in the design of our guardian machete. So basically, anytime we talk knives, Buck just geeks out, <laughs> totally just geeks out. So I thought, what better way to really help people to figure out what is the best knife that they could be carrying for everyday carry? Now, I personally, I've switched so many times to different knives because I might find one that maybe is better for the utility purposes that I need, or I find one that I think is better designed for for self-defense, but oftentimes what I find is that the ones that I really like, the ones that I carry for, for like, I'm personally in the self-defense, 
are oftentimes illegal depending upon where you live. So we're going to get into some of those. But basically what I want to do is get Buck, I wanted to get you on here and just talk about the pros and cons. So what I did was I came up with like basically five different classes of knives that people might consider for self-defense and survival. And what I want to do is I want to, I'm going to let you just geek out. So I'm going to throw these, these out to you, explain what I mean by them. And what I want from you is just to help people to understand maybe the pros and the cons that they should consider when they're looking at like that type of knife. So if something, if somebody wants one of these types of knives, what should they look for or what should they be aware of or what should they be aware of when it comes to choosing it out? Cool? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. So the first one is probably the most common that we see out there. And these are like just your everyday carry, like your folding knives. And these are typically, you'll find these like tactical folders. They're clipped. A lot of people just clip them to the inside of the like their front pocket. If they're right-handed, they might carry it in their right-hand pocket. So if you look at anybody on the street or something, you might you might see like this clip coming out of one of their pockets. And it's usually signs that they have a tactical folder. And there's a lot of different brands out there, Spyderco, SOG, uh, Benchmade, Cold Steel, and so on and so on. But these are the ones that they do re- they are folded up, so they're often more legal than other options that you might have. But um, But... These are the tactical folders that most people are probably carrying. So when it comes to choosing a tactical folder for self-defense and survival, what are some of the, the pros and cons that people should be aware of? Well, your, your folding knife is absolutely the bread and butter of the daily carry knife world. Folding knives have existed, I want to say the ancient Romans had friction folders, which were, they didn't lock open, but they were still folding knives that you could carry. And of course, the whole reason that you would choose a folding knife is that it is extremely uh, compact. The blade folds into the handle. It doesn't usually need its own sheath as a result. It's extremely convenient to carry. And when the, the pocket clip became popular, that took the knife up out of the pocket and got it off the belt in a belt sheath and put it someplace where it was the most accessible it had ever been. That's why when Spyderco popularized the the pocket clip on knives, uh, that it, it took off. The idea took off, and soon everybody did it, and it became an industry standard. And I don't know as it was Spyderco that invented the pocket clip necessarily, but they were certainly the brand that made it popular. Uh, I think the first modern tactical folder I ever had was a Spyderco after I saw it in a movie, that movie was Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Probably dating myself a little bit. But, uh, uh, you know, there was a time when the Buck 110 folding knife, the, the locking folding knife, was the standard by which folding knives were judged. And typically that was carried either in your pocket where it was reasonably heavy or it was carried in a sheath on your belt. And, uh, you know, with the advent of modern clip-equipped tactical folders, especially the one-hand opening feature, now... It wasn't anything special to open a knife with one hand. It was easily done, and, you know, it used to be back in the day when, when everyone carried, like, a Buck 110, or I had a plastic-handled Buck Light folder before tactical folders were popular. You either had to clamp a stud or a, a shelf onto the blade so that you could open it with one hand, or you had to get real good at flicking that thing open with your wrist. And the problem with that technique is, under stress, there's a good chance you're going to send it flying across the room, or it just isn't going to open at all. So 
I can't say enough good things about the modern tactical folder in terms of how it changed the industry. But the reason you would choose a tactical folding knife for self-defense and everyday carry as a survival tool is first and foremost that it's incredibly common. Everybody's got one. You don't really need to have an excuse for why you have one. No one's gonna, no cop is gonna go, why do you have a folding knife? Well, you know, because it's the most common form of knife that there is. Uh, it's very likely to be seen as legal. It's very likely to be legal. Those two things are not the same. Sometimes knives that are commonly accepted, very technically speaking, aren't legal. And it depends on how vague the laws are where you live. I happen to live in New York, which there's basically a sign at the border that says, uh, welcome to New York, you're under arrest. Everything is illegal here, and our knife laws are vague enough that if they want to get you for something, they will. But uh, that being said... I know from experience that if a police officer were to uh, pull me over, stop me, and or have reason to search me, and I had a locking folding knife, as long as I'm not in New York City, he's probably not even going to raise an eyebrow at that knife because it is most likely to be uh, seen as legal. In New York City, they've had a problem where even ordinary folding knives have been misinterpreted as gravity knives, and that problem has gotten bad enough that even... Uh, relatively left-leaning newspapers in New York City have taken up that cause and said, why are we putting people in jail for something that isn't supposed to be illegal? So, you know, that's a problem specific to my state. But the, the first and foremost, what you have to know about a folding knife is it's most likely to be seen as legal. Uh, and, and, and in addition to that, it's extremely convenient to carry. It's easy to tote around. It's easy to conceal. And again, with the pocket clip, putting that knife into your pocket up from the depths of your pocket where it's, you know, buried down in there, you don't have to reach down in. It is more accessible than any pocket knife has ever been. There was a time when you had to dig around in your pocket. I know some people who are still foolish enough to put other things in the pocket with the knife, which is a very bad idea if you want that knife to be drawn reliably in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so if you've got a folding, locking knife clipped to your pocket, it's going to be extremely easy to carry and deploy. Uh, and that is what makes a folding knife great. But the moving into the cons of the folding knife, especially where survival is concerned, but also where self-defense is concerned, uh, where you have moving parts, you have possible failure. Any part that moves is a part that has to function reliably for the knife to be deployed and lock open and be useful when you need it. So not only do you have to deal with the 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 fine motor skill of opening a folding knife and doing so in such a way that it locks properly open under stress, but you also have to worry about the function of that knife uh, over time. You know, will the lock always work? Can the lock fail? Is there a type of stress on the lock that can cause it to fail when I'm using it? Uh, could the knife conceivably jam closed? Uh, this is not a popular feature, but some knife of a safety feature that fortunately did not prove to be popular. Um, I've owned a couple of knives that had a safety on it, and the problem was that that safety could activate itself when you didn't want it to, and then you'd go to open the knife and you wouldn't be able to. Well, under stress, that's something you don't want, and there's nothing more stressful than the adrenaline dump of a self-defense encounter or an emergency in a survival scenario. So in addition to the problems of using your fine motor skills to open and deploy the knife, you have to worry about mechanical failure and the most catastrophic failure of all being when the knife is locked open, it has to stay open. And if it is a essentially pre-broken because it's a folding knife, under stress in use, it could conceivably fold up on your fingers when you don't want it to. If you've ever had a folding knife close on your fingers, you know how excruciating that is. And in extreme 
circumstances, you can lose your fingers. I remember a, an ad in the Cold, Cold Steel catalog some time ago where uh, Lynn Thompson was decrying the many counterfeits of his knives that were out there, and he pointed out that uh, a counterfeit version of one of his knives, which are known to have very strong locks, would easily fold up under stress and take your fingers with it. And the picture, of course, because it's Lynn Thompson, was a very lurid one of a mannequin hand with the fingers severed by a knife that had folded over onto it. But, you know, I've, I've had knives close on me and, and cut me pretty badly. I didn't lose any fingers over it, but um, that's something that has to be considered with any folding knife is the potential for failure. Yeah. The other thing I'd add to it also, when somebody's choosing one, I've seen it, it, it really makes a difference in, in what direction the knife opens up and based upon where you're going to wear it and how you're going to wear it. So if you were to put it in, like I've seen somewhere, like with mine, if I put it in my right pocket, then when I reach down and I pull it out, my thumb should be right where the stud is so that I don't have to fiddle the knife around. I don't have to flip it around or anything like that in order to quickly open it up. And not all knives are like that. Some of them are, some of them have, like mine, the blade actually, like the point of the blade would be in where my palm is. So when I pull it out, I open it up, it goes out away from me and it instantly opens up. I've seen knives, though, where the blade is, pointing actually down like toward the bottom of my pocket and you take it out and you've got to move the knife around in order to even open up the knife and so you really need to take a look at when you're choosing a knife out there of what direction like decide where you're going to wear it and then make sure that if it it opens up in a way that doesn't require you to try and you know juggle the thing at the same time as you're trying to open up it should be very fluid and very um, just very easy and and um, easy for you to get to. Um, so the next, the yeah, next you're, you're talking about the, Go the ahead. age old. Let me let me address that real quick before we move on. You're talking about the age old debate of tip up versus tip down carry, right. where tip up or tip down refers to the orientation of the folded blade versus the pocket clip. Uh, and everyone has their preferences. Tip down means you can't cut yourself if the knife starts to open in your pocket. But tip up, of course, means that depending on how you draw the knife, the knife will be in a more natural position for you to deploy the blade. There are ways to adjust how you draw the knife to put put it in the proper position for an easier draw. But like anything, you have to practice your chosen method of deployment. And if you switch from one type to another and you don't realize you switched, of course, you're, you've got a bad habit now. Yeah. And some blades, like I have a Benchmade that I that I carry oftentimes, and it has a reversible clip. So sometimes if you notice that there's little holes on both sides of the handle, it allows you for left pocket or right pocket carry, which is a great which is a great feature as well. So it just makes it more conducive to you customizing it for your own carry. So the next class I want to go to in is a small fixed blade knives. Now these are non-folding knives, and we're talking about kind of reasonably sized fixed blades of maybe like four to five inches, maybe even less than that, uh, of a blade size. And these are typically smaller, but they're fixed blade. There's no moving parts to it. So let's talk about the pros and cons of that from the standpoint of self-defense and survival. Okay. Uh, small fixed blade knives are generally seen as a great alternative to folding knives for self-defense and for survival because uh, – Their small size makes them incredibly fast to deploy. Since there's no moving parts, you basically just pull out of the sheath and you're ready to go. And because it's relatively small, you don't have any problems with like you might have with a larger knife where sometimes it can actually kind of get in your way. It's 
roughly the same dimensions as a folding knife opened, but it's a fixed blade. So, of course, it's much stronger because it's not pre-broken. There's no pivot in the center, so you don't have to worry about it failing in that way. I have never in my life broken more than the tip off from a fixed blade knife. I've never had a fixed blade knife snap in half on me. I have, on rare occasion, had folding knives completely fail to the point where they were broken. But, uh, you know, fixed blade knives, it's just a sharpened piece of metal with a handle on it. So as long as it's well made, there's not a lot that can go wrong from the standpoint of mechanical failure. Um, the, the problem with any small fixed blade knife, though, is that because it doesn't fold, it's much less convenient and comfortable to carry unless you find just the right carry method. For example, if you, like me, are a large ground-dwelling mammal and you carry a lot of extra weight around your midsection, carrying a fixed-blade knife suddenly becomes kind of a problem when you've got that thing in its sheath. It's now, let's say, a minimum of six to eight inches long overall as opposed to a folding knife that folds down to around four or five inches. That makes a difference. It makes a big difference in terms of how comfortable it is. You can't just put that straight uh, non-folding knife into your pocket in most cases. I've seen it done where you put it in the back pocket and cover up with a garment, but really it's less easy to carry. It's less comfortable to carry. So that, that, those few inches make a big difference for a lot of people. And another big problem with fixed blade knives as opposed to folding knives, it's the very thing that makes a folding knife so advantageous. And that is that it's much less likely to be legal. Um, there are places where a folding knife of exactly the same size is no problem, but you start carrying around a fixed blade knife, and if you're not engaged in some kind of a sporting or hunting activity, the authorities are going to go, why are you carrying that exactly? Why would you need that? Um, and, you know, the laws vary from place to place and from state to state and even from city to city, so you have to check that to see what the legal landscape is where you are. But all things being equal, uh, and generally overgeneralize, a fixed blade knife is going to be less often seen as a legal ordinary utility pocket item than will a pocket knife be. Yeah, we talk about this a lot when, we, when it comes to actual knife fighting or, you know, using a knife for self-defense. And we talk a lot about how in that adrenalized state, everybody, every, even people that think that they can get to their knife and quickly get their tactical folder open everything, when you've got somebody beating you about the head with their with their ham hocks, it's it's a lot harder to get to that and, and maneuver it. And if you don't get it out the right way, you've got to fumble around for it. And meanwhile, you're trying to keep your face, face from getting smashed in. It's it's just a lot harder. Whereas a fixed blade, it's ready to go. You reach for it, you take it out, it's, it's good to go as is. And so we talk about that a lot, about the advantages of that. But again, the big, the big fallback is even if you used it for self-defense, you could potentially have just used an illegal weapon to defend yourself, which is really not cool in the eyes of the law. So you, that's one of those areas where you could, you know, be arrested for doing for doing something as simple as as defending your life with something that you shouldn't have been defending it with. But that's a gray area, but it's definitely one that you need to take into account and see if you want to really roll the dice on that. So we've got a lot more well, coming up. The other thing is there are – there are situations, Jeff, where uh, juries have been incredibly lenient about people using self-defense to defend themselves. But when it came to explicit violations of the law because it was an illegal weapon that was used, people end up getting off on the actual use of force, but then going to jail 
for the use of the weapon. An extreme case is Bernard Getz, the famed New York City subway shooting. Right. Bernard Getz committed a violation of use of force law. He shot somebody who was already neutralized, and he got off on that charge. But he went to jail for the weapons charge because he had an illegal gun. So defending yourself with an illegal weapon is an automatic trip to jail. Do not pass go. Yeah. Okay, we have three more classes coming up, including covert knives, automatic knives, and, of course, the giant fixed blade knives. All that and more is coming right up. But first, let's get a word from our sponsor at the Front Sight Firearms Training Institute at FrontSight.com. Now, if you haven't heard, this month we are doing a special giveaway from Front Sight. They, well, first of all, if you don't know about Front Sight, it's virtually like Disneyland for gun owners. It's out in the middle of, well, it's not too far from Las Vegas, actually. So it's pretty easy to get to, but when you get there, that's where the fun really begins. They have over 50 tactical courses for everything from handguns to shotguns, rifles, scenario-based training. You can even get sniper training there, Uzi training there, edged weapon training there. You can even go rappelling. You can even have ropes courses. There's all kinds of stuff there. And this month, we are giving away four of their commander-level memberships to the Frontside Institute. Now, this is a $25,000 value per membership. So this isn't something that uh, that is often given away. And we're getting it given away for free. Now, what that means is that you can take any of their courses that they currently have and anything that they develop in the future as many times as you want for the rest of your life. And you can even stay for free at their on-site hotel. Now, there are all kinds of other bonuses and extras that are included in this special giveaway. And all you have to do for your chance to win this amazing package is go ahead and enter at moderncombatandsurvival.com slash contest. And you'll see all kinds of opportunities there for you to get additional entries in the contest to up your chances for winning. So head on over to www.moderncombatandsurvival.com slash contest for your chance to win. Now let's go ahead and get back to it. So, Buck, the let, let's go into the, like there's these covert knives. There's a lot of different types of covert knives out there. So these are the kind of like hidden knives out there. Some of them are novelties. They might be you know look like a a key or something like that. Something that doesn't look like a knife, but it actually is a knife. There are other unconventional knives such as pen knives. There's credit card knives, wallet knives. There's even like the uh, was it nylon fiberglass thingy Zytel knives that are supposedly cannot be picked up from a metal detector and there's hidden blades or stabbing tools. There's all kinds of things out there to help people hide the knife so that other people don't see it until they have to break it out for self-defense. So, so let's talk about these in general. I know we, it's, there's so many out there and so many different kinds. It's hard to nail down like, just specific ones, but what are some of the general considerations that people need to look at in pros and cons for these types of covert knives? Well, I love covert knives and gadget knives. I love gimmicky stuff, and there's a little bit of James Bond in all of us. We all like to feel like we're getting away with something, and some of us just really like gadgets. I have a folding credit card-type knife that I carry in my wallet. You, It's plastic with a metal blade. You fold the plastic over on itself, and you push this little tab in place, and then you have a little, a little utility knife. Um, I don't think you could ever successfully use that for self-defense because it's just too small, um, and it takes too long to get it in, in working order to unfold it and lock it and all that stuff. But the point is not to ever use it for self-defense. I carry it in my wallet in case I'm ever caught without any other kind of knife and I need a blade. 
Um, there are other knives that are intended to be a little more hidden, like a piece of titanium sharpened on one side that is the exact size of a business card that can fit in your wallet. Now, that could be a serious weapon. I've seen some others that have scallops for the fingers so that you can hold on to the whole thing more effectively or even stick your fingers through a couple holes in the card. And then you have a very useful slashing tool or even a, a scraping utility tool. Um, you know, and all the gimmicky stuff like combs with blades hidden inside them and all the little tiny stuff that really is just an excuse to see if you could put something that's kind of like a knife in an innocuous object. Uh, those old lipstick tubes that you could turn and there was a blade inside or pens with knives in them or butterfly knives that look like two pens that were sticking out of your pocket, but it's actually the handles of a butterfly knife. There are as many gadgets and, and blades for them as there are human beings out there with imagination. But the thing about all of these gimmicky, covert knives, whether it's, you know, a sharpened piece of plastic or anything, and I know in some of our programs we've advocated the use of some of those Zyke kind of hiding them around the house, uh, home invasion defense tools, um, you know, because I don't want to put a good knife in my toilet tank, but I would tape a Zytel knife in there without a second thought. The thing about all these things is that they are discreet. And the whole point of the discretion is not so that you can hide them and smuggle them past security or anything like that. And don't you ever dare try to get on an airplane with any of these things because the TSA has no tolerance for that. They will catch you. Their equipment is designed to catch you, and you will not like what happens. But in any sort of survival and self-defense context, having a discrete tool like that gives you the element of surprise. And having that element of surprise is incredibly useful and you, you know you'll get that with a discreet not a uh, hidden knife more often than with a more conventional knife now just in which scenarios you'll be able to have that discreet knife and which ones you won't i couldn't say there are some people who seem to live their lives thinking they're going to get kidnapped at any moment like smuggled down to mexico for ransom or something and they've got these paracord bracelets full of sur hidden survival tools and actually are under the impression that they would be allowed to keep that if they were kidnapped, you know, or that if you've got all this stuff hidden in your wallet, that that's not going to be noticed. I have, for example, a lock picking card that I keep in my wallet, not for any other reason than if I lock myself out of the house, <laughs> you know, things like that. So really hidden novelty knives are more about, uh, it, there is the element of surprise, but they're more about having a tool or a knife when you might not have anything else on you simply because you weren't carrying your normal gear or you were separated from your gear for some reason or, you know, like there are times when all I have on me is my wallet. Uh, you know, like say you're at the beach. Well, I still have some tools in my wallet in case I need them and you never know when it might come up. Um, but the problem with all discreet and novelty knives like this is very often they're illegal. Very often if you try to sneak one of them past a security checkpoint or you just forgot you had it, you could end up in trouble even though you didn't mean to be doing anything wrong. Um, there are states where uh, I want to say my state makes it explicitly illegal to have something like a comb with a knife blade in it or a cane with a sword blade in it. I think sword canes, for example, are explicitly illegal in my state. Um, and I'm not sure how many dapper gentlemen are strolling the streets with, you know, sword canes in their mitts, like, you know, something out of an old 80s song. But uh, the fact is, it, you have to know the laws because just because you think it's cool to have a hidden novelty knife doesn't mean you're not breaking the law. It could be the dumbest thing ever. I, I remember there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie uh, called Eraser where James Caan uh, ends up, uh, he, he gets a knife to the to the forearm and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger's hidden belt knife. 
And he says something like, I can't believe you nailed me with that cheap mail order piece of crap, because most of these are not sturdy knives. They're not effective tools. They're gimmicky. They're cheap. They're chintzy. So in addition to the fact that they may be illegal and they may be too small or gimmicky to really be knives or tools, they might just break. So you got to keep all those factors in mind when you're toting around something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All good points. So let's, uh, let's go into an area that I find really interesting and really kind of fascinating right now with this, the emergence of, or the reemergence, I guess, of automatic knives. Now, a lot of people might think about things like switch blades or anything like that, but now one of the biggest, hottest knives that are out there are the out the front knives, which, um, which I own one and I'm told it's legal in all states. Um, it might be that might be a little little bit too far reaching. However, <laughs> I think somebody decided that they could figure out some loopholes in the laws and using the R advantage instead of it being used the other way around and against us. But let's talk about automatic knives out there. What what do we what should we be aware of for these? Well, the the topic of especially those out the front knives fascinates me because they're basically the reincarnation of an old knife called the Bokermatic. Years ago, uh, there was a knife on the market called the Bokermatic, which was essentially uh, an out-the-front automatic knife where you moved the knife into position, pushed it a little ways along its track, and then it would open the rest of the way on its own. Because of the definition of an automatic knife or a switchblade, that doesn't fall under, strictly speaking, the definition of a switchblade, which is you push the button, the knife snaps open. It also doesn't fall under the the definition of a gravity knife, usually, depending on how strict those laws are interpreted and how fast and loose the prosecutors play with the definitions, which actually happens quite a lot. So the current generation of out-the-front spring-loaded knives fascinates me just because I've seen that idea before, and it wasn't that popular in the past. It's it's They're a little better in their execution now. I think whoever told you this knife is legal in all states everywhere doesn't know what he's talking about simply because you can never make a blanket statement like that when it comes to state laws. Every state's knife laws are different, and I don't know of any single knife apart from maybe a slip joint pocket knife that is legal in every state. And even then, you're going to find zones of questionable legality depending on the knife and depending on how strict the area is. Like, for example, just in New York State, there's no length limit on knives in New York State in general. But there's a length limit in New York City, which is a huge part of New York State. Uh, so, you know, it's it's really difficult to make generalizations about what's legal in every state only because of how different the knife laws are. Um, in Canada, they actually have it a little bit easier when it comes to knife laws because their their knife legislation is a bit more uniform from province to province. But uh, be that as it may, if we use the definition of automatic knife to mean basically any knife with a spring in it, uh, that is helping to shoot that blade open. And you could even umbrella in assisted opening knives in that case. Um, the pros are it's extremely fast to deploy. That spring helps snap that knife open. And, uh, you know, they, they have a great cool factor for that reason. They're fun to use, they're fun to play with, and they're very fast to get into action. The downside is, as I've already mentioned, there's a lot of cases where they're going to be illegal. And there's a lot of places where even a knife that isn't technically a switchblade or a gravity knife is going to be misinterpreted as one. And whenever there's a spring involved in the knife, lawmakers and police officers start to get a little twitchy. And they, you know, they start to interpret anything with a spring in it as something that's illegal. The laws against switchblades and automatic knives and anything that's really essentially cool 
all stem to a public relations problem. Back in the 50s, the rash of movies about juvenile delinquents armed with Italian-style switchblades had lawmakers thinking that every young punk on the street was carrying one of these, and they quickly passed laws against them. In some ways, our legal codes just haven't caught up to the realities of the world we live in. I would much rather my mugger have a switchblade than an illegal firearm. I mean, I want everything to be illegal, or uh, to be legal, rather. I want, I want to be able to own a gun. I want to be able to own a knife. I, you know, as, as the old libertarian slogan says, I want the, um, uh, the gay married pot farmers to be able to protect their farm with uh, handguns while, you know, is taking heroin, whatever. You can be as, as libertarian as you want to be, and everybody has a stopping point where, well, that's a little too far, buddy. But the point is, switchblades are not more effective than most knives but they are much more likely to be illegal. So in a lot of cases, you're not getting uh, an increased benefit for the increase in danger to you legally. And the other part of that is because of their legal status, any automatic knife is much more likely to be more expensive you're getting than a an, an analogous conventional folding knife. What I mean is I can pay $40 for a very decent folding knife or I can pay $40 for a switchblade. The switchblade is much more likely to be cheaply made than the folding knife at that price point because you're when you're buying an automatic knife, quite often you're paying for that sort of cachet that, that automatic knives have, or you're paying for the fact that it's harder to get. Um, it's possible to buy automatic knives in New York State, but in general, it's just not worth the extra cost you have to pay compared to a state where there are no laws against them. So... When it comes to automatic knives, yes, they're fast and yes, they're cool, but they're quite often illegal, and usually you don't get as much for your money. Yeah, and the ones that are good are now that I see they're coming out. Um, you know, they're up around three, four hundred dollars for these things because people ooh and ah over them, and many of the ones that are coming out now, like the out the front knives, are, are very well built. They're being used a lot by law enforcement because it's a great in between a combat folder or a tactical folder and a fixed blade because it, it kind of removes a lot of the, the problems that you have with a folding knife where if somebody's on top of you or wrestling you or whatever, you've got to not only get to the knife, but you've got to somehow manage to get the blade open manually, whereas if you have an out-the-front knife or some sort of automatic knife, if you can get it out and get to that button and press it or move the slide, it's out and it's ready to go. And it's kind of like the in-between of a fixed blade knife, which is just ready to go, and the combat folder. So that's why I think we see a lot, a lot more law enforcement are starting to use this as, as an option, and we're starting to see it really popularized out there. I remember going to the NRA show last year, and the one booth that had one of those just had a crowd of people. They just wanted to play it, just like click it in, click it out, click it in, click it out. And it's like next, and it was just everybody just oh, yeah. it. Yeah. So. Some of those, some of those automatic knives, the really nicely made ones, can cost as much as a handgun, like $500. Now, yeah. it's a really nice knife, and I look at those knives and I covet them like crazy, but there are so many other things I can buy with that $500. Yeah, <laughs> true that. Okay, so the last, uh, last section we have here is kind of going to the opposite polarity of, of, uh, from a small little combat folder knife that you might have. And we're going to the giant fixed blade knives. Now, these, <laughs> There, there are big folding knives out there, but we're talking about the things like all the way up to the Bowie or like the, uh, 
Oh, what was that? The the knife from Sylvester Stallone. Crocodile Dundee. Well, it was Crocodile Dundee, but then I actually owned one of the Rambo knives from Rambo 3. I took that. Oh, movie. yeah, Rambo, yeah. I was still in the Army when I had that, and I, I took it out to the field one time. You had a Rambo like, 3 in the I Army? A, I had a Hibben, uh, Gil Hibben <laughs> Rambo 3 knife in the Army, yeah, took it out to the field was... with me. And um, one time, and it was like, what the hell am I doing with this giant ass blade out here? When I have, I always have my machete anyway, but I just wanted to carry the Rambo knife. So I sold it as soon as I got back back to yeah. the barracks. The other soldiers didn't tease you about your giant Gil Hibben Rambo three knife? Oh, no, no. I was, I was hot stuff when that, when that, I was the first one that had one of those things. I was like, I was toting that thing around. Everybody wanted to play with it and everything. I have no idea how it would do and actually... <laughs> you know, using it under the conditions that we would need to out in the field, but it just looked really cool and it just weighed a ton. So, uh, but anyway, so what about these? I mean, a lot of people will carry these types of like large fixed blade knives around there. I've seen everything from back rigs to belt rigs to shoulder rigs to, you know, everything up and in between. And, you know, a machete is going too far as far as like a giant fixed blade knife for everyday carry, but some people do want to carry a bigger blade. I mean, places where I've been, like in in New Mexico, there were guys that used to walk around with Bowie knives on their belt. So what what are the pros and cons to these kinds of large knives for those people that are thinking about them, especially from a survival standpoint? Like maybe not, you know, I, I understand most people aren't going to be walking around with a giant Rambo 3 knife on their side. But for survival purposes, these knives are typically, they typically are much bigger. And so, you know, carrying them, people might actually carry them for everyday carry, I suppose. So what do we need to, what do we need to look at here? Well, very big knives. Uh, and, and there is a weird gray line between a big knife and a short sword. No one can really tell you what it is. I usually use the definition of anything that is short enough to be rotated within the span of my own inner arm is a knife. And anything that is so big that it cannot be rotated within the span of my arm is probably more like a short sword. But the reason anybody would carry one of these for survival is because of the pure work power that a very large knife offers you. It's great at chopping. It does things that a machete can do. It has a lot of leverage, uh, and swinging it produces a great deal of power. So just from a work standpoint, a very large knife can make a big task relatively short-lived. Um, from a self-defense standpoint, it's that crocodile Dundee moment. That's not a knife. That's a knife. You know, being able to say, I've got this huge knife can even be you know, there's a possibility of an intimidation factor there, although you can never count on that. Uh, I think we are all drawn to very large knives for that reason. There isn't a guy alive who hasn't looked at a big knife like a like a Bagwell Bowie or that Rambo knife. And I'm not when I say, you know, talk about teasing you. I own all those Rambo knives or I did at one time uh, before my taste moved on. You know, I had the Gil Hibben Rambo three. I had the the, the Rambo two, uh, the hollow handled knives that were designed by Jimmy Lyle, I think it was. Um and if you were a child of the 80s like me, you had to have a hollow-handled survival knife. They were all huge. One of my first knives was a huge hollow-handled survival knife that I used to carry around in my car. So they are tremendously effective weapons because of their size in terms of the power that they offer, the the intimidation factor, the ability to drive deeply into a target. But the same thing makes it a very effective tool. That size gives you the ability 
to chop small limbs and to even take down small trees and to, to clear brush, to do things that you would normally use a machete to do. Now, you have to choose your big knife carefully because if you start using it as a machete, there's a good chance you'll break it. You know, there's a lot of those knives that aren't designed to hold up under the same rigors of field use. But if you choose carefully, a very large knife can make a lot of sense from that standpoint. They're comforting. It's comforting to have a tool that big. Uh, and yes, I'm aware of the double entendre I just used. But it, you know, they are, they're fun, they're useful, they have a lot of utility value, and they are great weapons. That's why everyone is drawn to the giant fixed blades and even to the mega folders, like the various uh, cold steel gigantic folding knives. I met Lynn Thompson uh, at the Blade Show once, and I asked for a photo, and he immediately snapped out the biggest folding knife you've ever seen, even though I didn't ask him to, to pose with it uh, for the photo. And, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of that big kid in all of us who just likes a great big knife. But the problem with all those knives is that the bigger it gets, the more likely it is to be illegal. Lots of places have length laws, and the bigger the knife gets, the, the more likely a cop is to go, why are you carrying that exactly? Why do you feel you need that? It's not the same as if you're carrying around a standard buck knife. It's an ordinary, commonly accepted pocket knife and daily utility tool that could be used for self-defense. You start carrying around a giant you know, Bowie knife or something along those dimensions, people are going to go, well, the only reason I can think of to carry that is as a weapon. Are you up to no good? Uh, and then the other problem with very big fixed blades is the physical one. It is really hard to carry one comfortably. I have seen a full-size machete carried as a daily carry item shoved down a guy's pant leg. Every time his leg moved, that thing moved. Um I have also seen, you know, I have a back sheath for a giant Bowie knife. Uh, it's an Ontario, I think it is. Uh, uh, and I've seen um, the Bagwell Bowies and other big Bowie knives carried in a kind of uh, traditional sheath that has a slot on the sheath so that you can just tuck it in your belt. Uh, because, as I understand it, back in the day, those things would be just shoved under a belt or a sash, and that nub helped keep it in place, and you could shift it around as you move, because it's so big, you have to be able to shift it around. Uh, but it's not comfortable to carry a great big knife like that on a daily basis, and if you're trying to hide it, it becomes ten times less comfortable. Uh, you can do it. I've done it. You can shove it down into your waistband and make sure that there's something over it to cover it. But unless you're dressed for the Arctic or you're an extremely big man, it's going to be really hard to both be comfortable and keep it hidden. So, you know, they're effective and they're fun, and they can even be intimidating, but they're usually illegal to carry, and they're not physically very easy to carry around. And that's the problem of a big knife. All good stuff, man. This uh, this gives people a lot of really good pros and cons when they're trying to pick your, you know, figure out what they're going to carry for everyday carry, and and really based upon what they plan on using it for, and and the scenarios that they might find themselves in, whether it's an everyday carry knife for self defense, or for whether for utility or for survivalists out there, what can you have on your person when if if it is an a shit hit the fan type scenario that you can comfortably carry that will be a utility as well as self-defense and survival tool for you. So there's a lot of things to consider there. What I want to hear is from you now, everybody. So I'd like to hear what is it that you carry for everyday carry? What is your favorite survival knife? What is your favorite? Do you carry a covert knife? Do you have one? What is it? What are the pros and cons that you see? So make sure that you go on over to our blog and look for this episode for Modern Combat and Survival. Just go to moderncombatandsurvival.com and uh, go ahead and go down to the comments section and let us know what it is that you're carrying. I'd love to hear back from you. 
And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson and Buck Green saying, prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>